Happy New Year, everyone. Glad to see everyone survive yesterday evening. A uh, couple of announcements. Uh, this coming Friday is the first Friday of the month, and there will be 24-hour Eucharistic adoration. Uh, doors are still needed, especially between the hours of 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. Please see the sign-up sheets in the vestibule. Saturday, January 3rd, is the eve of the Feast of the Epiphany. The traditional blessing of the Epiphany water will take place um, after the Saturday evening Mass. Why do we like mafia movies so much? There's Goodfellas and The Sopranos and The Godfather. They even had a reality show some years back starring the family of New York mobster John Gotti, which might have been an early sign of the apocalypse, I don't know. But something about the mafia touches our collective imagination. Maybe we are just struck by the incongruence of some guy whacking someone and then 20 minutes later sitting down for his mother's lasagna. The idea of these criminal kingpins living behind the mask of middle-class suburban respectability. But more deeply, I suspect that the reason we are fascinated by the mafia is because it conjures up the image of men who break the laws of the larger society, but who live strictly by their own code. The code is always the centerpiece of mafia tales. The code of the mafia is interesting to many people precisely because it values some things in a way that our modern society largely rejects. In our modern culture, we tend to value functionality over status. What I mean by that is to say that we value a thing because it is capable of producing some result. By contrast, the code of the mafia, as it is depicted on screen, suggests that there are some things that are accorded status simply because of what they are. So, for example, many of you have probably seen the movie Goodfellas. It's on TV all the time. It's based on a true story. Henry and Jimmy, two of the main characters, couldn't become made men because they didn't have full Italian blood despite the fact that they were effective and loyal foot soldiers who made a lot of money for the mafia. Or their friend Tommy. He was whacked with the consent of his own boss because he dared to kill a member of another rival mafia family. But this man was a made man, whereas Tommy wasn't. So he violated the code. And despite Tommy's productivity on behalf of his mafia family, the code dictated that he had to swim with the fishes as well. Like the code, in medieval philosophy, things were accorded status because of their nature. Because it was believed that one could actually know what something was in an objective sense. And that the thing was thus accorded a certain status. But the Enlightenment gave way to the birth of modernity. And for various reasons, people began to question whether one could say what the true essence of a thing was. 
Instead, there was a tendency to reduce an understanding of something to simply how it functioned or what effects it caused. This had social implications as well. Thus, for example, during the French Revolution, in an eerie parallel to contemporary debates about gay marriage or this new thing that everyone's talking about, transgenderism, there was a long debate about whether mistresses of French army officers should receive the same pensions that were given to the wives of of deceased army officers. After all, some people argued, the state gives a pension to the wife because she provided help and comfort to her husband that perhaps made him a better and more effective officer. Well, why shouldn't a mistress who provided functionally equivalent help and comfort to an officer not get the same thing? Of course, this argument conveniently ignores the traditional Christian idea that the wife's right to receive the pension flowed from the concept of marriage as a lawful and spiritual partnership in all things, and that marriage ought to be nurtured and rewarded by society because it involves genuine moral and legal sacrifices, which a mere romantic affair, no matter how long-lasting, simply does not. Thus, the exalted status of being a lawful wife was reduced to being merely considered the functional equivalent of a helpmate. Today, we celebrate the solemnity of Mary. And I note that even many devoted Catholics have trouble making a connection with the mother of our Lord. Not for lack of trying or lack of faith, per se. But sometimes, I think, from the error of trying to tabulate Mary's contribution to the economy of salvation too closely of getting too much caught up in apologetics, focusing too much on the scriptural passages that are used to theologically explain Marian doctrine, trying too much to focus on what she says or does, her function rather than her being. Not that what she said or did in scripture isn't worthy of our pondering and our reflection, But more importantly is is simply her status. She is the mother of our Lord. Even if we didn't know a single other thing about her from Scripture, we would know that there was this woman in whom the Word became flesh. And this should move us to venerate her accordingly. I also think that perhaps sometimes a connection to Mary is a challenge for another reason that it is hard to relate to one who did not sin. For some Christians, the perfection of Mary, who, unlike Christ, was like us in being a non-divine human person, and we find that hard to relate to. Maybe the reason is because, on some level, we don't love and forgive ourselves enough. I'm not talking about, I'm okay, you're okay but that we don't really trust in the fact that God, by his grace, has and will forgive our sins if we simply are contrite and confess. Just as God brought Christ into the world from Mary's simple, let it be done to me according to your word. 
What I'm saying is that sometimes we focus too much on the difference between Mary and us, instead of recognizing the intrinsic connection. She was touched by grace. She was preserved from original sin by grace. Yes, she had to cooperate with that grace. She wasn't turned into a sinless virgin mother robot. But we can't weigh out how much was grace and how much was her nature, because her nature was full of grace. She was a synergy of human and divine effort. So are we, even if in a lesser way. We live every day in the grace accorded to us by, the, by our baptism and by the other sacraments. We touch the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, just as she did in her womb. Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. And so can we. There is so much that we don't know about Mary, how she kept house, how she raised Jesus, whether she really dressed in blue like in all the statutes and artwork, whether she was beautiful to look at or not. We can speculate, but we just don't know. Maybe like many other things that could have been in the Gospels but aren't, God withheld such things from us because to know them would just lead to more confusion. But we do know this. She was the mother of Jesus. That's who she was. We can imagine her holding the baby Jesus in her arms like any mother would, not doing anything special, so ordinary yet so extraordinary. That's enough to know that we should love her too. Just as we look to ourselves and know that we have been claimed by Christ in baptism, that's enough to know that we too are filled with grace. Such ordinary stuff we are, raised up from the dust. So ordinary, yet by the grace of God, made so extraordinary.